Thanks for tuning to Digital Voices Podcast, where we chat digital transformation, challenges, and opportunities across healthcare and life sciences. And now, your host, Ed Marks. Welcome to another drop of Digital Voices. And today we have, you know, a super, super interesting guest for, for numerous reasons. And it's uh, Dr. Lou De Sosa. And I want to welcome you to Digital Voices. Hey, Ed. Thank you so much. And Megan, thanks for having me today here. I felt honored that you asked. I uh, have been always been inspired by you and your career and your personal accomplishments. So it just tickles me that I'm here with you today. Oh, no. I mean, the feeling... Thank you. And the feeling is, is mutual. You're so accomplished. And I'm grateful that you are part of our podcast because we just want to share with any who are interested in the digital space, you know, different points of view. And, you know, I don't know that we've ever had a chief medical officer from an electronic health record organization. So you are the vice president and CMO at Cerner Corporation and part of Oracle, as we know. And so we're going to talk about a lot of things that are probably interesting to people about being a CMO at you know, an EHR uh, company. So it's going to be really cool. So as you know, because I know we've talked in the past and you've listened to our previous podcast, everyone wants to know what is on your playlist. So what kind of music do you like to listen to? I love alternative. And I just confessed to my team here recently that when I was a kid, I wanted to be a radio DJ. So I create these playlists that usually are called Luca One Radio. And uh, my playlist has a lot of uh, alternative indie flavor, a little mixed of chill electronica. And uh, I think that you can never go wrong with U2. That's my all-time favorite band. You and I have so much in common. That's U2 is definitely the one for me. And I know when we get into your personal story, I think there's a couple other music connects that you and I have. And it's probably on Luca One Radio Some some sort of uh, music from your heritage. So what about your life message or mantra? Are there words that you sort of live by that help guide you in life? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, and I say this not to talk about myself per se, but to encourage people to know that it's really not how smart you are in life, you know, that, that allows you to accomplish things, but it's really how industrious you are, how fast you can find that answer, you know, how much you want you want to to get to that answer. And so I, I really like what MLK said, which is that everyone can be great because everyone can serve. And that is certainly that I, it's something that I live by. Yeah, I love that. That's really good words to live by. So tell us a little bit about your story. We already established that, you know, your current role, but tell us your personal, professional, however deep you want to go into your, your life story and career story and how you got to where you are today. Great. So um, I'm from Brazil and we have that in common, Ed, but I am a, a product of a, a very young mom. She was single, teenage mother coming from a very humble background. But what was really important about her and what she taught me was to be very curious, very industrious, to be self-reliant, to be self-taught and to be service-oriented. And we started moving around when I was around uh, five years of age. I've always called myself a, a nomad for that reason. I've lived in three countries, many states, many cities, and always surrounded by this multitude of different cultures and perspectives, which really helped shape who I am today. Day. And it's this up upbringing that, you know, carried me from thinking that I would just finish 10th grade and get a job to becoming a doctor and eventually understanding that you can really create your own path, the path that you choose to, as long as, you know, you have the courage to say yes, which has been really important for me and not always easy. 
and just having a growth mindset, you know, to be constant learn, constantly learning and from learning from everyone that, that you encounter. So after being a pediatrician for 11 years, I was a pediatric hospitalist and pediatric emergency medicine doctor at community hospitals in Florida. I got very interested in health informatics and ventured into this world with just this desire to impact the lives of children at a, at a broader level. I, you know, saw the potential and could really imagine what the future would look like and how technology and data would help transform healthcare and bring good care to disparate underserved populations, as well as create, you know, a healthier future with our children. And I've loved it ever since. I wake up every day with this sense of purpose that what we are doing, what we want to achieve is, is for a higher purpose of advancing healthcare. And um, I also get to satisfy my inner kids love for science fiction and innovation and technology. So it's always fun. I came to Cerner 11 years ago thinking that I'd be here for two. <laughs> that was my track record before of jobs. I, I get curious about other things. Boredom is not the right word. I just really want to learn other things all the time. And here it's been nonstop. Every time you blink, something has changed. And that's the world we live in in healthcare IT. Yeah, no, that's a great story. And I, if we had more time, I'd love to learn more about your mother. That's a pretty amazing story. And you mentioned three countries. So Brazil for the first five years, then was it Portugal or where did you head next? Yeah. It was Portugal and um, don't tell anybody, but that's my favorite country. It's just beautiful. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. So tell us about a typical week because I'm curious. I know a lot of our listeners are curious because, you know, I know what a sort of chief medical officer might do in a health system, a hospital payer, but not necessarily at a vendor. So what would a typical week be like? All right. So let's see. I These days it involves a lot of meetings and very little bathroom breaks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'd say that ever since we've learned to work well, virtually, it's amazing how much you can fit in the day. But, you know, the cynicism aside, I could say that throughout my week over week, my life or work is divided into three main components. The most important one is helping our client organizations leverage their technology to achieve their strategic goals and improve the health of their populations. So that obviously means a lot of things to a different, you know, to a lot of different people and organizations, depending on where they are in the journey. So having that direct contact and doing a lot of strategic planning with clients is a big part of my day to day. The second piece is helping Oracle Cerner develop clinically informed products and services and identify emerging opportunities in the market, really trying to understand where we should be, you know, guiding our clients to so that they are successful in their goals. And that really helps, you know, position us to, to drive better services. And then the third part that is just as important to me is really uh, supporting my team. It, it's serving the physician executives at Cerner. I manage the team in North America. Um, it is very important to me that they meet their career goals and that they are growing as leaders and, and they feel that they are empowered and have all the right tools to serve their clients in the best way possible. So that's my day. Oh, that's great. Now you sound like a 
And I know you are just from the interactions we had, a, fa- a fabulous leader and its great priorities, including, you know, supporting, your, especially supporting your team. So how do you ensure that the clinician voice is heard? Obviously, that, that's one of your key roles. And obviously, in the deve- like you talked about, developing product and services and helping your clients. And, you know, you're in, a, in an organization and it's the same challenge at any organization. But how, what do you do to make sure that everyone understands that, hey, it's not just an engineering thing or it's not just... Uh, a billing thing, you know, but it's uh, this clinical thing that helps save people's lives. How, how do you ensure that voice is heard? You know, I'm so glad you asked that, Ed, because we as an industry and in health IT still have a long way to go before this technology is, is considered a meaningful member of the care team. And that's what we need to get to, to, to achieve its promise. In order to do that, we can't just assume that we know the answers. That's never going to work. And it's the way that a lot of technology and healthcare has been developed in the past. So there has to be this true partnership with clinicians and this constantly inquisitive mindset to ensure that we are creating them correctly and that we're serving them into their workflow versus having them adapt to the technology that we develop, which has happened a lot in the past. I venture in saying that it probably still does in various places. So how do we do that? You know, it has to be both ways. It can't just be the vendor. It has to be vendor and client that we have to always start with this clinically integrated governance model that gives us all shared accountability. They have to have a voice at the table. They have to participate in decision-making and we have to be constantly humble in searching those answers with them and understanding how our technology is impacting them. So what I see you know, quite often on both sides is that we're so focused on project goals and metrics instead of truly focusing on the, the user experience and the clinical outcomes. Now, from the, the vendor perspective, you know, it's even more challenging than ever now with the shortages that we have in resources and healthcare workers. We're very cognizant that taking more of their time, you know, means a lot. It's hard. So we are partnering with our CMIOs, those chief medical information officers, clinical informaticists, you know, to come up with more creative ways that are less disruptive to gather their voice. But it, it is extremely important that we continue down that path. At Cerner, we have hundreds of work groups in which we bring in clinicians from our user group, from our clinical user side to give input into solutions and help us create the next. So that has been very rewarding for us. Those are great techniques. And I wonder, Lou, because I know you're a pretty innovative person. So obviously you're getting uh, good ideas internally, like you're describing, you're getting great ideas from your customer base bringing them in, working both ways. Are there any other sources that you sort of leverage to stay on that cutting edge or think about innovation? Yeah, absolutely. I think data is very powerful. We have a pretty robust user analytics system that is tied to our code. We can, you know, time and measure and see how people interact with the solution and a a really great user experience team that is, is trained to do this work. So that's been really great. Having our hands in a lot of different conferences and uh, just general multidisciplinary cross-vendor committees and um, memberships has been very helpful to keep a pulse on innovation and where we need to go. And just really utilizing our clinicians at Cerner, we have, I want to say over 100 doctors across the globe, and we have over 1,500 overall clinicians, nurses, 
pharmacists, allied health, with a lot of knowledge and just being constantly learning and understanding our market is very important. That's a great approach. So you, you sort of touched on it already, Lou, but let's go a little bit deeper into this area. So one of the biggest challenges right now in healthcare, especially when it comes to the tech, is clinician. Well, let me back up. Maybe I'll be interested to get your opinion. How much of it is tech? So it's really around clinician burnout. And so I know this is a passion of yours. Tell us about, you know, how, you know, in your clinical experience about burnout and then, then, yeah, then we'll move into how much of it is tech or tech enabled. Love to get your thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when I was leaving health, like, uh, sorry, full-time clinical work, and I just as on the side of continued to practice clinical work until 2000. At that point, my job was pretty intense at Cerner and, and time was pretty limited with the pandemic hitting us all. So at that point, I, I did step away, but it was important for me to continue working in the clinical space, as well as utilizing our solutions, right? And utilizing Cerner products so that I understood the experience of the, our customers. And we have several doctors and nurses and nurse practitioners at Cerner, at Cerner that continue to do that. They continue to practice utilizing our products. But at the time, what was burning me out more than anything, Ed, was bureaucracy. I was a medical director of the pediatric emergency side of our community hospital. And, uh, you know, I felt like every day was just a, a punishment of data. You're not doing enough CTs. You're not admitting enough. You're not discharging fast enough. You're not very, you know, there were very little interactions in which people are coming to you and saying what a great job you're doing. And I think a lot of our clinicians are, you know, feeling that all the time. Then you layer that with technology that is designed to enforce the regulatory measures and the policies and the financial needs of an organization. And it feels, you know, like more punishment to our clinicians. And it shouldn't be this way. The technology really should be there to help them provide excellent care and not to get in the way and force them to certain actions. So I think that there is a long way of partnership between the clinical side, regulatory bodies and financial sector to be able to accomplish, you know, a better space for practicing medicine. But so I, I was definitely burned out from those aspects. The technology was annoying at times, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't my crux. I, I'm a technophile as you are. So it's a little bit different for me, but I do recognize that the far majority of people that use our products are not technophiles. They're not in it for that. They're in it to take care of their patients. You asked the question, how much does technology play into this? The studies show different and most studies are based on surveys and we're talking Medscape all the way to Class Arch Research that is part of, so Class Arch Collaborative, I should say, which is part of Class Research. They show that the EHRs or health IT is either third or fifth in the list of multiple contributors to burnout. When Class Arch Research dissected this, they saw that about 20 to 30% of actual technology is directly impacting satisfaction and therefore burnout. But the most important piece here is when we're trying to discern what is technology versus people and processes that are involved with the technology, then you're just kind of trying to tease out what are the underlying causes. Regardless, if we don't install technology with good governance, with shared accountability, with the voice of the clinicians and ensuring that they are represented and that their workflows are, you know, are well accounted for, then 
you know, we're doing them a disservice. So from our perspective at Cerner, we're accountable for that. Every aspect of it, we have to help our organizations work on the pieces that they own. And we have to ensure they have a voice on the pieces that we own. And together, I think is the only way that we're going, you know, we're going to get there. Yeah, that's super insightful. And I, I would definitely agree with you. And it's sort of a challenge that we all inherited. And, you know, no one had the force, foresight many years ago to anticipate some of this. And we didn't really have these concepts around user experience, clinician experience, human-centered design. So if we did have a whiteboard, you know, we could start all over. What would be the ideal clinician experience when it came to utilizing a tool to help them take care of patients? Hey boy, you know, you made me think of a CIO that was one of our customers and I was doing a presentation on, you know, improving the clinician experience in the EHR. And we talked about all the different things that we can do to personalize records so that they are set up for the right specialty, the right venue of care, the right type of practice. All of those things we can do today are important. But he stopped me and uh, I know you guys can't see me, but I'm holding up my glasses and he just picked up his glasses and he puts them on and he says, Lou, until the technology is that easy that I just pick it up, put it on and it works. I don't want to talk about personalization. I don't want to talk about all this other stuff. Make it hum. And I, I mean, he's got a very good point. It's not easy to get there, but the essential you know, ingredients that we know is that it has to have excellent response time. It has to have great performance. That's just core. There are a lot of interfaces and things that we deal with today that slow down systems or cause an extra click and cause, you know, extra frustration for our users. All of these things we need to work in tandem to, to try to solve for. And then having the technology designed around the clinical outcomes, I think is going to be a must for us. You know, it shouldn't be about financial systems. Wouldn't it be great if all of that just got done in the background and we did didn't have to touch it. Put me back to taking care of my patients. You know, that's really what clinicians want. So, and then because we do have now new technology, we're going to start layering things that are going to, to really help. Like when I think about our partnership today with Nuance and having ambient listening to create a clinical note to have the AI listen and provide the opportunity to take actions like, you know, just queue up my meds that I'm going to refill for you, Ed, and just queue up the exams that I'm going to order for you. We have that today and it's going to, it's only going to start getting better. I think the promise is there, but what our users don't, I think, understand and they shouldn't have to worry about it is that we as a as a industry have not been standardized and we're still not quite there yet until we're all speaking the same language in the background. These things are not, you know, working flawlessly. We need to fix all of that. Yeah, I would agree with you. And, and again, you know, super, super insightful. So what, and I imagine you get this scenario, this scenario really happens to you. You know, you're invited to the C-suite of a health system hospital. And what would your advice be? So we're still on the top of clinician burnout. Then I want to switch just to general leadership with you. But what would your advice be? Uh, the EHR uh, uh, vendor aside, what would your advice be on clinician burnout? So they must ask you that question. You know, how can how can you help us? Uh, I'm just curious, you know, what, what might some answers? Yeah, be? I have to say that I, I wish they asked me the question more often because it is a really important area that we need to continue focusing on. What I would say to them is that 
but they have to just pick a model and start now. We are fortunate to have a lot of models out there with really solid ideas on how to get started and help deal with clinician burnout from you know a comprehensive perspective. This is a multi-pronged problem and it needs a multi-pronged approach. So no need to invent a strategy, no need to create some big committee. There's definitely very easy ways to get started today. Easy is not the word because it is not easy, but certainly there are many approaches already out there for, for you guys to just get started on. That's really important. And then the other piece I would tell them is that investing in culture and investing in people will get them a lot further and faster than solely investing in technology. And the research has shown that if we really start again from our culture, of shared accountability, and we provide good education, ongoing support and training to our clinicians, there is this delta that they can accomplish today without any further investment in technology. And we've seen that over and again. We've, you know, when I say we, I say all of us in the industry have done them a disservice to think that you can just build technology, install it, and they're going to come and they're going to use it and it's going to be okay. And we forget that education is essential to it so that they can be masters, you know, of, of this domain just as much as they need to be masters of new surgical technology, right? And robotic. Uh, technology. So the EHR is just as important to understand because it can be just as detrimental to care if it's not used correctly. I agree with you. And, and this is a great segue into leadership. So yeah, oftentimes we run into a problem and we form committees, right? To, to analyze it and they come up with, they'll take months and months, come up with strategies and Sometimes you just got to do things. And, and like you said, uh, um, the majority of it's soft things. You know, it's the culture. It's the, they're hard, uh, but they're, they're less technical than you might think. And, and then technical can help support some of those things. But it's got to start, like you're talking about, with people, with culture. And yeah, so again, really insightful and, and words of wisdom. So you have had this amazing career and, you know, you're still got a lot of great things ahead of you. So it'll be really interesting to keep following you, Lou. What would you say to recent grads? So someone's graduating from med school, they obviously have a lot more choices than maybe 20, 30 years ago, right? They could obviously go into clinical programs, but from a technology point of view, there's opportunities as well. But what would you say to recent grads? So you're you're now uh, giving the speech, you know, at a graduation of medical school students. What's one or two things you might tell them? Well, first, you know, I would tell them to have the courage to say yes to new opportunities, get out of your comfort zone. But while you're doing that, ask a lot of questions so that you understand what the role needs and how you can best serve the people that you're going to work with or for and how to gain that knowledge and experience. There are a multitude of ways you can do that today, you know, from just more formal, traditional type of training, but all the way to just shadowing and asking and inserting yourself into committees and in your organization and understanding how some of these decisions are made. But I think that, you know, most importantly, and I've said this before, so it, it will sound rep repetitious, is to ensure that you have a growth mindset. You really have to be open to learning all the time and learning from every situation and everybody you meet so that you can be successful. I really, that is truly my mantra in life and it served me very well. If it wasn't for the sweet pediatric nurses, I would have never been a good pediatrician. And so we have to shed some of those ideas that 
because of years of experience, we can't learn from someone. That is not true. There is always something to be learned there. But the other thing I would say to them is technology training is important. Obviously, we need to be speaking the same language and we need to understand, you know, how do you utilize these solutions, how to leverage data and analytics to drive to the outcomes we want. But leadership skills are just as important. We have to have good emotional intelligence and be always studying people, being able to understand ourselves and our emotions and manage ourselves so that our voice is meaningful. I see over and again, my physician colleagues being a bit loud and aggressive in their approach. Doesn't mean that what they're saying is not true or important to hear, but unfortunately it turns off, you know, some people and it keeps them from listening. So that is, is truly important. And, um, we'll just stop there. Ed. Yeah, this is really good stuff. You know, I, I'm taking lots of notes as we go along and it is, it's great whenever, you know, we have a guest and you might get three or four like really good ideas, which is awesome. And, but so far already I've, I've collected like, uh, you know, like uh, 10 or 12 and it's, it's, <laughs> so I really appreciate you. I know our listeners do. So let, let me change that question a little bit, but similar where you work with a lot of digital leaders, you work with a lot of CIOs, you work with a lot of CDOs. What advice would you give us, would give them in terms of, you know, based on your experiences and all the things you've seen, is there any advice like how to maybe, I, I'll keep it kind of broad, but it could be about how to work with clinicians or EHR vendors, how, however you want to take it. But I, I think you'll probably have some good insights for us. Yeah. You know, I think cultivating the relationships is essential and trying to put yourself into each other's shoes is really important. Level setting that we are speaking the same language is extremely important, right? And so one of the biggest roles that we health informaticists play is really that translation between, you know, our CIOs and our clinicians. But that's not to say that our CIOs that are committed to learning can't learn that as well. They absolutely can. Just having an open mind and taking the time to learn. You know, if anything has surprised me going into this business is that most of our work at is not about technology. It's really about people and it's about processes. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. It's more about that and the culture and just basic good human kindness uh, than uh, anything technical. So you've had this great career and continue to have this great career and you, you dealt some with the burnout and obviously got over that. And now you're doing things to help, help fix it and, and so forth. What do you do to recharge your batteries and remain fresh? You know, cause you know, you're, I, I'm sure your position is a uh, stressful and, and challenging. So there's gotta be sort of tips, things that you do to stay in a good place. Absolutely. I love to travel still, you know, it's in me. It's always been a part of my, of my life. And so whether COVID lets me or not, just planning a traveling, you know, a travel somewhere, a nice holiday with my wife, it means a lot to me, gives me something to look forward to. And then when it happens, just be as absorbed in it as possible. Try not to do, I try not to do too much. You know, we always create our itinerary and she's got 15 things to do. And I say, all right, we will do 15 things, but show me where I can just sit by the pool or by the ocean and do nothing. 
because I, I need that. And so nature is very important to me. We like to be immersed in it, you know, hiking, observing, sometimes doing nothing, but uh, especially when it comes to the ocean. The ocean means a lot to me. I love to dive, snorkel, be on a boat, be at the beach. Julie surfs and I like to photograph. So it's, it's really fun. And on my day to day, listening to music and reading. I love to read. If I don't have time to physically read a book, I have it on Audible and I'm, you know, doing that while I'm walking Molly, my puppy. So uh, those are my things. Yeah, no, I love it. I, I, I share that love for travel. Like, we, like we've already established, you and I have uh, super lots in common and, and maybe someday we'll, uh, with our wives, we'll travel together or something and, and around the ocean and do some hiking and start. That's my Probably thing. So Lou, we talked about so much in the 30 minutes and we talked everything from your experiences and your role and day to day, what it's like being a chief medical officer at a, at an EHR vendor. And then we, we spoke about clinician burnout, huge topic. We talked about leadership and you gave some great advice, both to fellow clinicians, as well as uh, fellow CDOs, CIOs. Is there an area that we missed or uh, one of these things that you want to double down on as we close? I, I give you the last word. Oh, thank you. I would say that if there was one lesson that I, I wish I had learned earlier in my career is the importance of relationships and having a relationship bank. Someone said to me once that the minute that you need someone, it's too late. You have to really create and maintain relationships along the way. And I love doing it. It's not hard, but I never really truly understood how important that was until you get to a position of decision making. And, in, you know, we tend to navigate towards people that we like, that we have things in common, but successful leaders know that they benefit from connecting with many different people, even the ones that are challenging. So I, this is my challenge out to you. Find a challenging person in your circle and get to know them. Take the time to listen, stay curious a little bit longer than you would, you know, otherwise, and you're going to get a lot from, from it. Yeah, really, again, great advice yeah, even here at the end. Thank you so much, Lou. You're, you're a lovely person, lovely human being, great leader, uh, done a lot for our industry, helping patients. And so again, thank you so much for being part of Digital Voices. Thanks, Ed. Appreciate being here. Okay, that wraps up another edition of Digital Voices. Thank you for listening to Digital Voices Podcast with Ed Marks. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe on your preferred streaming service and leave a rating and review. And most importantly, thanks again for listening.